And that's something that, that follows my career all the way, like to do something for the first time. That's where people truly remember, I think, if you touch them in, in another way. Hello and welcome to this episode of Partners in Time. My name is Chris Granger. I'm the CEO of IWC Schaffhausen and your host on this podcast. During my time at IWC, I've been lucky to meet so many different people who connect with the brand. From clients and collectors, to engineers, to content creators, actors, racing drivers, pilots, and so on. And I've noticed many of these people share something. They share that unique focus and a unique passion for what they do. Now on this podcast, every week we're going to meet one of those partners in time. We're going to discuss what drives them, their passion, how they connect to time, and hopefully they'll be sharing some of their successes and secrets to success with our listeners. Now, time is precious, so let's jump right in and get started. Hello everyone, very warm welcome to this episode of Partners in Time. I'm here today with uh, storyteller and prolific content creator Paul Rübke. Paul, nice to see you. How are you? How are you, Chris? I'm your partner in time today. Hopefully. Partner in time, hopefully, indeed, yes. What are we doing in this podcast? So uh, today we're recording some sort of an introduction to understand what we want to tell, which story we want to tell, right? So, But exactly, it's in I your brain the, yeah. as well as in my brain. So let's try yeah. to tell our audience what our plan with this project is. Why, why are we recording this? Exactly. No, it's, a, it's an excellent intro, uh, Paul. So what we're trying to do really is sort of tell the story both about the, the, the fascination of anything and everything, timekeeping and engineering, but also to really open up the world around it. Because I think, you know, with our little project, you know, objects, they're always so much more than simply a precise mechanical watch. It's also always about telling the stories behind of diving right into what went into these little timepieces in the first place. And also really meeting some of the personalities all around the process of making, uh, engineering, designing and racing and flying and experiencing watches in the end. And I think that's what the podcast is all about because we've met some amazing people over the time, including you. And uh, it's really to bring all this family together and have a chat about all things that float our boat, I guess. Totally, 100%. And, and especially the human side of things, I think. The human side of, because it's a it's a mechanical watch at the end, you know, but the human side is what attracts me a lot, like who constructs the, the, the watches, what your point of view is. So we had a couple of talks over the last two, three, four years in Formula One um, and, and the human people that, that make IWC, that's what attracts me deeply and that's what I want to find out about. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being my partner in time on this one. Really looking forward to it. And maybe that's also an interesting starting point to, to talk to you a little bit, because you obviously, you've been in storytelling for quite some time, you know, from photography originally to sort of brand storytelling to all sorts of different formats. And more lately, also, you started in you know, a quite successful podcast, I'd like to add, and, and obviously also all the world of Clubhouse. Uh, how, how, is, how is storytelling evolving and, and how, do, how have you seen it happen over the last few years from sort of traditional media to where we are today? And to be honest, I'm like, I was a photographer. I would now, if I'm checking into a hotel or, or somebody asked me at career day of my kids or something, I'm saying storyteller, which nobody really understands. But um, I started the, the technical part of photography was taking a camera, understanding which dials to change to take a picture and which flashes to use and which technical parts of it. 
But the older I got, like, and I started with 20, so I, tw I started young, I'm now 40. And now I think the story behind it, the what you see, the, the motive in photography is even more important than the technical part of it. So that's how I evolved over the, the last 20 years. I hope I evolved a little bit from the technical, just photography side into finding things that are stories that are interesting to tell. And, and I'm first of all, I'm seeing those stories. That's the main part. Like you have to see different kind of interactions, human interactions, as well as success interactions, as well as failing as well. Like that's an interesting story as well. Um, and if you see those stories, then you can try to capture them in whatever media you want to choose. Like, and that's what attracts me. Like I'm, I'm, If I'm totally honest, I'm, I'm getting bored quite fast. So that kind of pushes <laughs> me into different media. So, so um, yeah, so podcasting or Insta Stories. Insta Stories, the probably best story tool that was ever created, hasn't been out there four years ago. You know, so um, it evolves very, very fast. The, the medium changes, but one thing stands clear. A, a good story is a good story and a bad story or a normal story is a normal story and you can touch people. And, and that's where... Like, I honestly think what makes a good story a great story is timing. So if you time it right, and that's wherever you want to tell it. Like, if, if it's on podcasting or if it's on Insta Story or a video format or whatever medium you choose, if you're writing something, if, if the timing is right of that story, then it's it could potentially become a great story. And that's what I'm constantly trying to do, like, whatever I'm trying to do. And, like... I mean, IWC, we stumbled, like 2009, I think, we had the first photo shoot together. And, yes, and that was for, Yeah, that was for me, like, one of the ad highlights of my life. Um, but um, now we are meeting in a very, very different point of my life, but still, it's all about storytelling. That's the only mm. thing that's all coming together. And that's, I think, what's going to work, because that's how you create memories. You touch people. Yeah. If you tell them a story, they will remember afterwards, I personally think. And that's that's what my job is, that part of it is your job as well. You know, like you want to tell a story with your product. You want to touch people and you have so much stories around those watches. And all those Clubhouse sessions, I was deeply impressed by the people who who really connect with that brand and with that product to give it to their sons and daughters and to their children and, and they connect IWC with a deep emotion which is super nice but I personally haven't heard all the stories like that before so that's why we do no, this podcast true. hopefully. Uh, absolutely and what you say about being able to see a story is really really relevant because you know you, as you know my background is design and the first thing yeah. you learn in art and design is that you can draw anything you want you just have to be able to see it. You know, drawing yep. skills are not about what your hand can do. They're only about what your eyes can see and what you can then process in your in your mind and ultimately bring down on paper, clay, uh, sculpture or any other medium you choose. It's totally that. It's that translation mode because all of the wonderful things are out there in the world around us. It's just trying to see them and capture them and translate them to an audience. And this is, I think, where... You know, at the end of the day, if we're starting from the, the simple fact that we make today essentially a non-essential emotional product. You know, a mechanical watch today, very few people buy for the sole functionality of knowing precisely what the time of day is going to be. You know, we have many, many other ways of, of checking that. But what we do like is this idea that human ingenuity creates a machine 
that manages to capture all of this functionality way beyond the functional. And I think it's been driving humankind forever that we go beyond just making stuff that works. We make stuff that is rich in meaning, that is decorated, that goes further in terms of its design. And I think mechanical watches are one of those disciplines where an incredible amount of know-how and heritage, tradition, and craftsmanship and design comes together in a really, really small space. But then also, these things have always originally been designed for a functional environment. So whether you make a watch for racing, for diving, for driving, for, for a flying, they were designed with a particular environment uh, in mind that has created their design. And then things happened over time and that changed the design. And those were the adventures and the stories that are equally relevant to tell to our listeners because they are clearly what shaped who we are today and maybe a watch they're enjoying today and enjoying wearing every single day. What's actually gone into that originally was something extremely functional that maybe was out in the high seas or something, but hardly probably everyone, anyone knows where that came from. Yeah, well... It's amazing, like all those, you just said exactly what I said before, you know, like that. those stories, the reason you created those watches, that's what attracts me, like that you do diving watches, that's where it starts, where you connect two products, and that's the, the beauty of it. Like if you remember the emotion, you're kind of starting a thing, and you don't need to use it for only diving or whatever, but it does something in your brain if you remember that moment. So what's the best watch IWC ever released? Well, it depends very much what you're looking for in, in a watch. I think for me, who likes sports watches, who likes technical watches, who likes that sort of engineering DNA, I would say it's probably going to be the GST Deep One, which I think, if I remember correctly, was like 1998 or thereabouts. And this was a watch that had the first ever mechanical depth gauge in a wristwatch. It's quite nice because we're just talking about uh, diving watches, so it's, it's kind of on topic there. Uh, and what I love about it is the fact that To create a mechanical depth gauge, it meant basically having salt water in the ocean enter the case of a waterproof watch, which is like a really stupid idea to start with. And yeah. then inside you had a, had a tube with a membrane that actually measured the water pressure inside the tube and gave you a mechanical reading on the dial. And that was then combined with a little pump system that allowed you to equalize the pressure depending on which altitude you started. Bear, you know, bearing in mind that if you're diving in a mountain lake, the atmospheric pressure at the surface level of the lake would not be the same at, as down at sea level if you're already 4,000 feet up. And that was all packed into an extremely cool engineered titanium case at the time where RWC was really a pioneer. And this box set looks like a science experimental kit, basically. <laughs> And I love the fact that the team at the time really went into a absolute loony engineering exercise to make that work. And if you look at it from any kind of risk assessment spreadsheet kind of systematic product development angle, you'd say, come on guys, stop it. This is nonsense. But they went for it and they created something that was truly unique. First ever mechanical depth gauge. And it's just, it's just spot on. And today, again, when you wear a watch like that, yes, it's a bit of a design classic from RWC, but you have all of this history of the craziness of that project in there. I'm a Portuguese fan. Um, mm. uh, and I'm turning into a big pilot fan now. Yeah, to, yeah, be, yeah. Uh, to be totally honest, like uh, I'm really a It's fan a of long the, journey, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I did yeah, it yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it changes over, but I'm not like I'm excited about the stories you just tell over here. But I don't know any of the stories yet because I'm I'm not a super geek into watches. I just 
go for the look. I'm totally honest over here. Like the stuff I, I, I want to see and I'm the, what's the word? Serati, ser, what's the English expression for the little bit of black seratium? Or, Seratanium. Or, Seratanium, Seratanium, sorry. Think yes. ceramic and titanium makes yeah, okay. Seratanium. Seratanium. That looks so insane. I even went to, to the boutique to watch. Like, it's insane. Like, I'm amazed by that look and feel of that, the, the material you're using over there. That's my most favorite. And I do do really like the last one, You the tribute to 3705, uh, 05, 05. 05. 05. That I really, really like that. So, um, yeah, that's, I tried to get my hands on, but I, I miserably, miserably failed because yeah. you guys all said, like, no way, <laughs> no way you're to not, get you're it. You're not the only it's one. Good. And maybe as a little background <laughs> story, I actually, I, I had ordered one. And yeah. I actually, following the, the early demand for this piece, I've, I've given up my spot. So whoever ends up getting number 0044, Uh, that was actually the watch I had reserved in order because I always go for number 44. But I said, yeah. look, we have such a high amount of demand. I don't want to block a, a slot in the production uh, away from one of our customers. So there we are. Yeah. Somebody will have that, a watch. Want it back one very, day. Yeah. <laughs> that's very nice. No, but I, I was wearing a Portuguese. The, I don't know the exact expression. Black with the seven day and uh, uh, the... Portuguese like automatic one, seven automatic. days. Correct, yeah. And I really, really like that. I mean, to be honest, like I was in 2009, I had the pleasure of like probably had one of the best watch tryouts ever in my life because I was on the Moonbird, insanely nice sailing boat in the Mediterranean in front of Monaco and somebody arrived and he had like four cases of the whole Portuguese line in there. So I can just like, oh, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And one sticked out, like one I really just liked on my on my wrist and and in the visuals of it, and that's been that one. And I constantly was wearing it for four days, and constantly was like, "Oh, this is really nice. See, this is really." You didn't nice. have to Can't. wind it because it lasted for seven days. <laughs> correct, correct. Um, and then uh, that's a good story. Actually, I think a good story. We presented the the pictures and everything, and uh, in Geneva in. Uh, so trade shows, so I got invited over there. I was super proud. I was on stage talking about the photo shoot and we showed it and everything. And you guys said like, yeah, you can keep that watch for a little bit. And so I went home from Geneva with that watch on my wrist and I was super proud. So I only pulled it out for special occasions, whatever came around. And here's something I need to tell you. Um, the last time, like I was the team photographer in 2014 of the German national team um, when they won the World Cup. So I told the story of their success, like out of their perspective. That's what one of the things I, I tried to create. And, and it, we made a book about it. And I think it tells quite a nice story out of the eyes of the players, of, of the team. Not only the the players, the team around it as well, like the 23 other people except the players uh, that they're in there as well. So um, there was a film about it and called Die Mannschaft and this film got premiered in Berlin and a huge, huge, huge thing. So And I, I was invited to it and I went there with my wife, special occasion, so I took out my Portuguese and... Um, well, it was, <laughs> it was all of the team there. It was a long night. And that's where I last saw my watch. And I think, ah. <laughs> technically, it's still yours. <laughs> This is the moment when you tell the, our listeners the case number. So if anyone finds your Portuguese automatic seven days, <laughs> then it was yours. 
<laughs> I've given my number already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to look it up at the, the next time. So I owe you a couple of, um, yeah, I need to take some pictures we, uh, or videos or whatever. Part payment my... in, in podcasting. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm very sorry for that. And I'm like, honestly, we looked so hard. Like, And the problem is, I realized that two weeks after, like I, I, it was not a, it's, it's not, it's not been my daily. I, I just took it out for special occasions and I wasn't wearing it daily because uh, I don't know why, but I've, I felt like a little bit, I didn't deserve it to really wear it daily when I was 32 or something like that's changed now. That's totally, mm. that's weird. Yeah. Like yeah. now you send me another watch. I'm really hoping I'm not losing that one. Um, but it's a big pilot and I'm I'm wearing it daily. All of a sudden, my brain switches. What, whatever happened on my side of things, I feel way more comfortable now to go out with that watch. Maybe mm. it's the, the, the time and place in my life. I'm, I'm a little bit more proud than I was 10 years ago um, of what I achieved personally with three kids and, and a wife and uh, moving to California and being able to to live on my own. And that kind of has something to do with me wearing an IWC watch as well, to be fully transparent. But I do own a, a yacht club as well, which I paid for. So that's, uh, <laughs> I didn't lose that one. That makes it even worse, right? <laughs> like I lost yours. <laughs> you lost the free one. Um, Lovely. Oh. <laughs> I hope it was a good night at least. That I do hope. It was a great night. <laughs> no, but what you're saying, I can totally relate to because I also, I remember when, I, I don't know, when I got married back in 2008, I'd only been with RWC probably two and a half years at that point or something thereabouts. And I sort of also thought, oh, I'm going to treat myself to a really nice watch for my wedding. And I went into the product management department, as I do sort of our DIY, you know, help yourself kind of uh, take away a service station. And I said, look, I'm getting married. And for the church service, can I have really nice and something really nice? And the gentleman gave me a Portuguese, um, Portuguese tourbillon mystère. Uh, which yeah. is like a 125 grand watch, right? In, yeah. in platinum. And the same thing happened. I, I drove back home and I was like, felt really chuffed and oh, I got this amazing RWC for my wedding day. And I ended up not wearing it because like you, I felt like this wasn't my watch. This wasn't where I was in my life. I hadn't achieved sort of the, you know, global uh, blue chip company fame or anything like that. And it just, in the end, you want to, it, it, there, there is, you have a relationship with a product at a certain moment in time. I, I think I totally agree. And you progress over time. It's probably a bit like appreciating fine wine and things like that. And yeah, but sort of age 27, it, I didn't feel right wearing a Tourbillon Mystère in Platinum. I probably still don't feel right wearing <laughs> in Platinum, but maybe one day. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're okay on the Portuguese. And I must say, um, I've only ever lost and, and found again, but I've lost one watch in my life. And in my team's defense, it was a prototype. And they did tell me later on, it was an Aquatimer um, bronze chronograph. And they did tell me afterwards that, you idiot, this one was a prototype of the uh, strap system that wasn't supposed to stay on. So in, in their defense, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't the final product. So I was actually, I was taking my three kids <laughs> to, to one of those, uh, you know, desperate rainy Saturday afternoon indoor play centers, you know, the really oh, bad boy. ones, you know, oh, the, the, the germ central, like something you'd never uh, do post COVID like ever again. Oh. That's, that's, but the really bad that's not existing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we're going there and they had this kind of jump thing where you jumped into like a two and a half meter deep foam pit. You know where they have these like yeah, yeah. foam oh, no. cubes? 
And it was the size of a swimming pool, basically. So in goes daddy, you know, don't want to be shown, shown up by my kids. And so I look, I can do the backflip. Here we go. And I, I waddled my way, you know, I made my way back to the ladder out of that foam pit. And of course, uh, I came back to the table and thought, well, I'm feeling much lighter around the wrist. <laughs> realizing that that watch had gone. And Paula was like, no, no, you've left it at home. You didn't wear it this morning. I was like, I'm dead certain I wore it this morning. And I'm also dead certain it's not here anymore. And so basically I, I tried to try to look for it, but I mean, no chance. So I, I spoke to the center management and said, look, can I come back when you guys are closed and actually dig my way through that foam pit? Because I thought if I come back Monday morning and tell, you know, Dr. Mm -hmm. No here, who's our product management guru, that his watch is gone, he's going to absolutely kill me. So I did that and I literally, I was digging for an hour and a half. I think I found 35 uh, filthy odd socks, toy cars, Barbies, the lot, like all the way from the bottom of this foam pit. <laughs> and literally... I'm not kidding you. I mean, and I've got a dust allergy, right? So it's not ideal for me to be digging oh, through that. Oh, oh, oh. And literally a meter and a half before I got back to the ladder where I left the foam pit, at the, right at the bottom, I saw this rubber strap poking out between two like, foam cubes. I'd already given up and I pulled it out and there it was still intact. Clicked it back onto my wrist. Uh, the day was saved. But yeah, that's that's my almost lost to watch story. I'm still waiting for it. Like there's still moments of, of where I pull out cases or whatever but to be totally fair we moved with like that's where <laughs> we times. kind we had like one moment where we saw everything we own and that's been the moment of truth that it's probably not coming coming back to me but i'm still waiting for that one jacket or whatever to open and and that's gonna <laughs> yes. be celebration uh that moment because like honestly my wife and i like if i even say the word i i told her that we're recording and like She gets anxiety the moment I, I tell IWC because we looked for years. We looked, there's every single drawer and stuff like it's, it, it made me feel horrible. But it's, it's good that I can pay my debt over here and, and, absolutely. and you're, you're still talking to me. And yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about gaining things. So I just yeah. want to talk to you quickly a little bit about that um, transition we've just seen in, you know, I mean, before lockdown, obviously, you know, all of the audio stuff was already a big deal. We had our audiobook now podcasts that obviously taken off massively during lockdown as well but then clubhouse entered the scene and to my surprise um despite our sort of young uh, blossoming uh, age on clubhouse we i already had one press interview in the context of watches and wonders now where a gentleman was just asking me basically for 45 minutes just about clubhouse i said can we talk about watches but clearly it was uh, all about that what's been your experience and how do you think that sort of connects to the reality we live in today I think like like I personally think audio is super super important because it it happens in headphones mainly and you connect on a very very different way to your listeners because they they do something besides like they clean or are doing sports or are on the way commuting but it's a true connection you have over there and um it's something people remember and then it's I mean mathematically If you reach 100,000 people for one second with an Instagram reel or if you reach thousand people for a hundred seconds uh, with a podcast or or they're really listening and a hundred seconds is nothing like they are listening to an hour of your time and that's something that's of way 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 bigger value i think if you have the story to tell if you have both worlds that's the ideal scenario on my kind of things like you need the visual you need the short term like the eye candy kind of thing but on the other hand i personally believe 
there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of contact to gain out of audio format, if it's podcast or clubhouse. And I personally gain the most listening to other people. If you have a story to tell, it's a very, very good format. And um, I've been to a couple of clubhouse sessions of, of you already, and it's super interesting to see the interactions of not only the people you invite on stage, which is Usually, you know, if you invite David Coulthard, no offense, he's one of the best storytellers I've ever seen in my life. And he fires out 15 small stories and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> that's super interesting. But that's that's also his job. That's his superpower. So, But I was more amazed by the people you pull up to the stage and, and by, by customers who tell their story. And, and I was touched by, by the emotional kind of connections they have to your brand and to the watches. And that's something that's new in Clubhouse. You know, like you would not listen to those stories. You would not have the possibility. And it's, uh, they talk differently. They, uh, they are talking in a, in a very close environment. You know, you're, you're listening to headphones. You're, I think it's stupid, but it's very close to your brain. So the, it's, it's not, you don't see a camera. You don't want to show off. You don't care about your hair. You just care about what you're saying and that makes the product way 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 more better and i do believe it's something that's very very much coming around like it's going to be the future if it's clubhouse or whatever it is but it is for sure going to be something that um that's gonna be where people gain knowledge as well as emotional contact i think um, and that's why i'm super into clubhouse and i have two worlds of it like There's my German side of it, but there's also my international side, the American side of it. Me living in California is that's insane what's happening over there. Two weeks ago, uh, there was Mark Zuckerberg and he's talking mm. about his memes and stuff. And Alan was on there and like it's it's a level of contact you would normally not get. And that's super, super interesting because every boundary that's being taken away, if you can take down those boundaries and and maybe make that available to people out there, That's, that's uh, I mean, Clubhouse is enabling these kind of conversations to listen to. And that's what, what I love about. But that's also what I love about podcasting. You know, our podcast is basically Yoko. He's a, a TV presenter. And we call each other. And you're sitting on the table where we are having a beer to catch up. And you're listening to it as a podcast listener. That's what we envision it. You know, like, or you're in the call, but you're not saying something. You're just listening to whatever we talk about. Um And that's at least, I mean, there's a couple of people listening. So I never touched so many people with true content before ever. You know, like I, I did photos, I did videos. Maybe the soccer thing touched some people, but um, it's not been as like the, the amount of emails you get, the amount of quality contact you have with the people that are listening is I think 200 times higher than it is in uh, any uh, yeah, media, in any event type of things. Like people truly remember when you touch them. It doesn't happen a lot, but but if it happens, then it's super good. And Clubhouse is super good for that. So so and I'm I'm not seeing a lot of like you as a brand, you're you're going hard on Clubhouse. And honestly, I've had the talk with the Formula One team, for example, and Toto and whatever. And I told them three months ago, like, you should do that. That's your thing. And they were both like, uh, I, I haven't seen them yet. So um, they're not on there, which I hope they will be at one point because that's also super interesting. Like, I want to hear Lewis 
talking about that. Lewis is one of, you know him, like it's one of the most inspiring people I've ever met in my life. Definitely. One of the most competitive people, one of the most social people. And like, he's, he's a super, super nice guy also. Um, but out there in media, sometimes he's portrayed as this show off, uh, not very sympathetic. Like, like it's a different thing. And, and, and I would be super pleased to show the real Lewis, which is, And you can do that on Clubhouse or you can do it in, in podcasting, which is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my whole life. So yes, um, Exactly. For, yeah. And it's, it, takes, it takes that contact for sure, because I, I think this was also before I got into Formula One, I had a completely different image of the sport, a different image of the team, different image of the drivers, because it does translate to something quite different when you just have the sort of public TV coverage angle to it and you don't actually find out, you know, the crazy engineering and tactics and strategy stories that go on there and the commitment and the focus that these drivers bring. I mean, every time when I think, you know, how much, I'm like even a conversation I've had with Lewis recently, like on the podcast actually, was, you know, he always, he manages to get himself into the zone where he can perform at that level, no matter what's the day thrown at him, what his physical mental state might have been. And this is something that, you know, many normal people like you and me struggle with sometimes, you know, to, to leave all these things behind you and to focus on the job in hand and really, you know, deliver at your absolute maximum. And I admire to see, and there's, there's many examples, Lewis clearly being one of them, um, that managed to get themselves into this zone where they let go and they find this, this, this space of calm where they then just focus on whatever is in front of them and they let go of absolutely everything else. And I think yesterday, um, well, that was a Bahrain GP for whenever we're going out with this one, was another example of that. You know, he just kept it together despite, you know, a Red Bull having a clear advantage yesterday, but he, he just kept it together and in the end made his move and, and, and that was that. But just a little anecdote on, on Niki. Um, very impressive uh, gentleman, of course, Niki Lada. Uh, he's also, he was a, a real... Um, absolute stickler for detail. He's the only person who wore Mark 18 Petit France Blue Dial. He's the only person I think we ever changed the entire whole pattern on the strap for. Because he said, he explained to me one day that this was all wrong and they all had to be like half a whole width off their pattern where they are on the strap. And we actually made a series of brown straps for him that had the Niki Lauda exclusive whole pattern. We probably still have some. And that was literally, he just, he just wanted the strap a different way. And that's, that's totally unique, this guy. Totally. He did not accept if something is not right. Let's let's talk quickly about um, the, the watch angle, because I think in our industry, and we touched on a lot of the storytelling and the personal connection elements, but what strikes me time and again is, especially when you make a, a luxury purchase and something you think about for a long time, I think there comes a point, as, you're right, I mean, you said it in the beginning, people initially you react to the look and feel of something, you react to a brand, you react to a design, and that's probably what drives the initial attraction. But I find time and again that, in that journey of actually making up your mind about which product it's going to be, there comes a point where you want to personally connect to the brand. And I think there comes a point when you want to find out who's behind the brand. And I think the wonderful thing about this podcast is going to be the ability to break these things down into relatable personal stories that hopefully give our clients a little bit more of an insight into what goes into the journey of designing, engineering, making, manufacturing, and, and testing Uh, these watches and how much people's life lifestyles and, and passions go go into what we actually do here at work on a day to day basis. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Totally. And and all those personal stories. What's my position? Like I'm your 
Uh, you are the, the, the primary host. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm <laughs> no, the you're novice, the prim- so I'm, <laughs> I'm learning here, right? <laughs> but, but you're sending me off to meet those people, right? Like Lawrence, I'm, you said Lawrence exactly. is his name? Yes. So Lawrence I want to meet him. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk we're to gonna, him. Then we're going to let you loose on the real Christian Knob. You know him very, very well. Yeah. yeah. But like, like Toto, we have here somebody who has great <laughs> stories to tell, but who perennially inf- refuses to be present on social media. And we're going to change that. We're yeah. going to drag him on as much as we can. We can't drag him by the collar because that's too high up, but yeah. we can drag him by the belt. <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's like yeah. six foot, uh, <laughs> 600,000. <laughs> we're we're going to get him on and we're going to, you know, he's got some amazing stories to share, including the one that you two uh, spent on a multi-million luxury yacht with a helicopter <laughs> for days on end in the spring sunshine off the coast of Cannes, trying to, and he was, you know, <laughs> at the time, I remember this very clearly. So Christian said to me, Paul, he's like this young talent talented photographer, but somebody senior has to look, we have to look after him there every day and we have to sail up and down in front of Cannes and we have to fly in the helicopter and take all these beautiful pictures. So that's Christian. So we're going to go on. So you're going to meet these people. You're going to ask him from, and I think this is going to be the interesting thing because you're not a watch engineer. You're not somebody who's going to go hard at them with the uh, ampere meter differences between two models from the past, which I think is quite refreshing. And we're going to find out exactly what went into some of the key designs and invention at IWC and hopefully share some exciting stories with our listeners. Totally. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And, and when I thought about it, I've, I personally think, and I want to share that, that thought with you, like it's comparable to music, I think. So I started my career, photography and, and videography in music. So I learned a lot from musicians and their sort of way of creating things you know as a musician you can either do what you did with one success album and then you keep repeating it and you do the same album 15 times and your success is going to yeah. go down or you invest in something you change you are maybe a pioneer even you know and these kind of little things uh, are touching me like because you're talking about that story of trying something new with the diving watch for example that happened also in 2009 with on our shoot like we had the stuff we needed to do and then we had an hour of free time and I asked the, the the captain of the boat like can you bring me outside of the boat and he hung me like outside of it and I was it was windy and I was clashing into the water and I tried to make something new I, I, I tried to pioneer a little bit um, oh that and was that, that picture, wave shot that yes, was taken that's that, from yes yeah. that was and really that's cool. been there for the last 10 years I think in your kind of surrounding because it was a new shot, because it was not seen before. It was something that's not planable. And that's something that, that follows my career all the way, like to do something for the first time. That's where people truly remember, I think, if you touch them in, in another way. And the second thing is that I learned out of music is there's some music songs, at least, um, that I listen to and I straight on like it. First, second, it touches me. Normally, those songs are not staying for a long time in my mind. Like, it's a a short-term kind of, so, uh, oh, I like it, and then I'm getting bored of it a week later. Real good music, real good product kind of grows on you. You know, like you're, you're kind of living into it, into the product. And that's what, at least in my life, totally happened with watches, especially with IWC. Like, it's something, the older, the longer you are into, the more you like it. And that's super interesting, I think, to find out how to create something in these kind of surroundings. How do you create something that's not, I would say, sell out on your, you know, like like it's it's there. You're going to sell 5,000 pieces worldwide uh, and it's gone. Um, and I want to find out 
of the humans that that do that, you know, like and and that create that and how they are pioneering because that's what you truly do. You are pioneering the last five years, at least that's mm. how I see it. You're recreating new worlds and you're touching people, and that's that's what I want to find out in this podcast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the tricky bit is like when we look at new stuff, we don't only have to say, do we like it? Do we not like it? We have to say, well, do you think we're going to like it in 85 years or in 125 years or not? Exactly. So that's that that balance between sort of great design and, and great timeless design. You know, always that when, when people ask me about that, I often refer back to things like a Jaguar E-Type or 300 SL Gullwing where you say, look, there are actually designs that were often quite functional in their you know, original design approach because the 300S Gullwing, you know, had that particular uh, structure for a reason and needed to have a rigid chassis. The only solution to that at the time was to have these Gullwing doors. And, you know, 50 years on, uh, everybody was convinced that this was one of the most timelessly beautiful silhouettes ever to create it in cars. And there are things that weren't only beautiful in 1955 or beautiful in 1980. They continue to be beautiful. And there's no time in history when they weren't considered beautiful. And I think that's, really when you're touching on timeless design. And often that happens when the worlds of kind of engineering and crafting come together with design. And it's not about adding, adding, adding. It's actually finding that perfect balance of just enough, you know, and you find a simplicity that just looks like it's always been there. And I think that's the key. And that's what I'd like you to discover with our designers and engineers and watchmakers you might have to try a little bit hard sometimes from a language perspective but we'll get there i'm sure what's been a moment in the last three four years where you thought okay that's it yeah i think yeah one of the first ones i think totally you know because the the, the other real challenge in our world is that um whilst most things in the world can now be computer rendered to a really high standard in watches you can't And the impression you get in a rendering and the physical product are totally different things. And that, that's painful for me as an architect, because in architecture, I think you can render up to 95% of the final result. Mm -hmm. You have total control, um, not in watches. So one of those aha moments for me clearly was the Serotanium Double Chronograph, which was the first um, Serotanium uh, Chronograph watch we launched at IWC. Previously, we'd done a Hodinkee edition automatic. But this was the first one where we'd done a fully engineered double chronograph case and we played around with a subdued grayed out dial and like that little tiny accent of red that was hidden in the double chrono pusher mm -hmm. and then that would activate the second hand that was hidden by the first chronograph hand which would then be red at the tip which only ever reveals itself if you start the double chrono function otherwise it's completely subdued and when that first came out as a first case prototype and i put it on my wrist i thought wow this is like it was it just everything was right about this watch the engineered look and feel of the case, the case bag, the way that everything went together from the thread in the in the in the in the tool um, tool insertion pieces in the back to the overall volume of the case to the dial, everything was just spot on. I thought, okay, you know, you know, you don't need to change anything. It's just like bam, there it is, and I still love it, and I have one, and I'm very happy with it. And how many watches are on your wrist as a prototype, and you never release it because it's and and what's the what's the number? Do you release 97% right? Or or if you have no, to put it's, it's it on much the number? Less than that. It's much less than that. I, I think it's probably something like 60 to 70%. That you're releasing yeah. that's prototyped. That's yeah, crazy. Because there, okay. there's always a moment when you know when you see the metal for the first time, if it's not right, it's not right. And you know, we try we try to be very adventurous with our concepts. So there's many things that are getting prototyped. Uh, we now have a lot of in-house prototyping as well, which makes this whole process a lot more exciting. 
Um, but yes, not all of it, not all of it makes it through to production. <laughs> for sure not. We should do a podcast one day on all the things we didn't release. Audio is great for that because I don't have to show it. So I don't have an IP yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, one last question I have for you. So we just found out recently in uh, the GOAT talk between Lewis Hamilton and Tom Brady that Lewis's first watch was actually from Argos and he saved for it for months on end. <laughs> so for, for our non-UK listeners, Argos is a catalog shop in the UK, which is a very interesting new retail concept from back in the day where you actually walked into a store there'd be a fully laminated page by page thick catalog on a desk you would rip off a piece of paper you'd fill in an order number onto a mm -hmm. slip you take it to a counter and out it comes you know this thing's like a kind of mail order takeaway type thing and uh, so lewis's first watch was a very very classic piece from from argos costing 18 quid he said i think so we have to ask you paul what was your first watch and what was the story It was G-Shock, to be honest. I was I was a hip hop kid, so really? uh, so oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So in Heidelberg, I grew up in Heidelberg, Germany, and we had yeah. a huge American base over there. So yes. Rammstein and Heidelberg were the two big American bases. So I'm heavily U.S. influenced. So I wanted to be a rapper, I think. <laughs> so hip hop and and the look of it. So I think it was even like a bling bling, very colorful, very loud very ugly uh, watch <laughs> and i i don't know what it what it cost but i was super proud like i i bought it by myself of money i, I raised uh, putting like I'm, i had a side job um, putting out papers on saturdays and the, the type delivering of side things. jobs that rappers typically have let's not go into <laughs> yeah correct, correct. <laughs> um, that too but uh, other than that we uh, so i could afford that watch and i was super super proud what's been your first watch It's also, it's, it's literally, I think there were, pro there was probably a see-through all transparent swatch. I'm pretty sure. But one of the, the, the first one that I actually bought was also a G-Shock, interestingly. And I think that has something to do with the fact that we're influenced by pretty much the same things at that point in our lives, because I lived close to Wiesbaden and Frankfurt air bases. Yeah, my okay. biggest wish for my 18th birthday, I kid you not, was I asked my mom and dad, will you take me to KFC, which was only available oh, yeah. inside the Wiesbaden oh, yes. air base, you know, yeah. but on China plates and stuff. I mean, it was yeah, a civilized yeah. KFC. And my mom and dad just couldn't believe it. They were like, what? I mean, we'd take you anywhere, you know, to any sort of <laughs> good upstanding. Concerts. <laughs> we, yeah, anyway. we have culture no, over no. here you want fried chicken <laughs> exactly sunny boy wanted colonel's best secret recipe an extra helping of coleslaw though so there we were and they you know begrudgingly they took me to to wiesbaden and no but, but you're absolutely right i mean this universe of sort of the, the the american forces in germany i think were a huge influence and and also in terms of how we dressed back in the day watch choices etc i think it was a lot about that No, listen, buddy, thank you so much for joining me for this sort of introductory episode. And I'm really looking forward to what sort of conversations we strike up during our time on Partners in Time. Uh, of course, you can uh, find us uh, online, obviously, adoc.com, all of the podcasting formats. You can find us on Instagram. You also find a Pulse uh, podcast if you remind us what it's called. Uh, AWFNR. So it's a German saying, Alle Wege führen nach Ruhm, which is uh, trying to be funny in uh, in a career podcast kind of type. But it's German. So only if you're speaking German, it's it's interesting. But I have another well, request. If you want to learn German. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have sir. one more request because I really like if people show when they're listening to that podcast. So I have the request. If you are listening right now to it, please do a screenshot and tag Chris, 
IWC watches and me because we kind of I like to get a little bit of feedback maybe a little bit also fishing for compliments over here but um, if you can screenshot a little bit and and put that on Insta story that would be very very nice of you and I really appreciate that help of you listeners out there mm. other than that I'm, I'm really looking forward to meet those people that do those watches I'm, I'm gonna uh, meet Christian next and I'm looking forward to create some stories maybe We're touching some people. I hope uh, it's not super boring. It's a little bit interesting. I enjoyed the last uh, 50 minutes of talking to you and looking forward to what's going to happen you, over there. And if we get 100 Insta story tags to Paul, then we won't charge him for his Portuguese seven days that he's lost. <laughs> oh, please, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> Bailout Paul is the hashtag. Okay. So yeah. it's like a sort of community fundraiser or of yeah. sorts. <laughs> Go fund me. Oh, Go, fund, Go fund Paul. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next time. This is the Partners in Time podcast. Make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode. If you want to find out more, visit iwc.com. And you can, of course, follow us on Instagram. It's at iwcwatches. My Instagram is at chrisgrangerhair. Make sure you tune in. Speak to you soon. Bye.